I knew someday, you know, if I ever wanted to do my own company, knowing how to generate business and drive business, drive the volume is key. All the rest you can figure out, right? You can make some mistakes on, you know, the technology you choose. You can make some mistakes on how you're processing. You can make some mistakes there, but if you don't have revenue, you don't have volume, you don't have a business. Welcome to the Build a Broker podcast. Each episode, you'll hear the journey of newly minted mortgage brokers from concept to first closed loan on their road to success. We're going to break format for this episode and have a mortgage banker on. However, today's guest was a mortgage broker up until a few months ago, and they had their mortgage brokerage up and running for about three years. Uh, they, they opened up shop quickly ramped up production, cranking out loans to a level of predictability before the pandemic, which allowed them to quickly ramp up to be prepared to capitalize in a major way on the biggest boom ever. On this episode, we're going to talk about planning. We're going to talk about our guest move to become a mortgage banker. We're going to talk about what's really important to win repeat business from borrowers and referrals. But first, a word from our sponsor. Rocket Pro TPO has the tools brokers need to compete, even in an ever-changing market. Elevate your game with world-class training called Pro Performance. It's elite coaching that only Rocket Pro TPO can offer. Partners walk away with the skills to confidently present to clients, explain market conditions, and win more business. Learn more at rocketprotpo.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, and MLS number 3030. I'm your host, Andrew Berman, and on this episode of Build a Broker, we're going to have a mortgage banker confused... Well, in today's episode, we've got Tyler Fleur, CEO and a mortgage advisor over at Sunny Hill Financial, who just started to write loans as a non-delegated correspondent after launching their mortgage brokerage just three years ago. We have come to actually understand that no mortgage career, no two mortgage careers are, are alike. And you are a perfect example of of an, of an of an anomaly that I've never seen anything like this. So, yeah, take us back. You know what what got you into the into the mortgage business? Yeah, so uh, I was finishing up, you know, grad school uh, in Michigan, and I was applying for jobs. Um, applying as a researcher, I was doing you know a master's in basically biomedical science. And uh, I went home for Christmas um, and a buddy of mine who had worked at Quicken Loans basically pulled me aside and was like, hey, you know, I got to I got to show somebody something. Uh, I don't feel comfortable showing it to anybody else, but I, I trust you. And, you know, he showed me a paycheck and he was just so proud of it. And I was looking at it and I basically said, well, what do I need to do to do that? And <laughs> I completely changed the direction of my life. Probably one of the harder decisions I ever made. but. Uh, Probably the best decision I ever made. All right. So what, who did you disappoint when you made that decision? Was it yourself? Was it family? Like, cause, cause listen, I mean, you were going to school for something completely different and now actually, you know, you're going to be a, a mortgage person and keep in mind, this is like the 2012, 2012 was when people still were blaming the financial collapse on mortgage professionals. Yeah. So you know, like, what was that like? And, and who was that person that you disappointed? Was it you? Was it like someone else? Was it family? I mean, I disappointed a version of myself. My family was super supportive. They've always been, um, you know, a part of me wanted to, you know, I, I grew up, uh, dysgraphic. I really struggled in school. So I picked what I thought would be one of the harder degrees I could get. Um, and it took a lot of effort and, uh, really, you know, I'm more of a creative brain. 
in general, um, and forcing myself into kind of a science, logic, straightforward, um, I felt was really important, but, you know, a portion of myself got sucked into that community and wanting to, wanting to do research, wanting to, you know, be in that field. Academia, you know, was interesting to me, but, uh, the more and more I looked at it, you know, I decided I don't want to be a dentist. I don't want to be a doctor. Um, you know, I'm a little OCD as well, which is a good thing in the mortgage industry, I feel. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I lived with the decision for three or four years before I finally came to terms with it, to be honest with you. It wasn't something I just made a decision and moved on. So, yeah. So, and I mean, give me an idea of like, when, when was that point where you were like, oh my goodness, this is me. This is my life. I figured out actually my calling. Well, you know, uh, the first job I took was at Quicken Loans. Um, I moved down to Scottsdale. And, uh, there was a hiring freeze when I, when I was hired and I got stuck in basically outbound dialing and connecting, you know, clients to loan originators. And due to the hiring freeze, you kind of needed a new class to push you out of that role. And you're only supposed to be doing that for two months or so. And I was doing it for six months straight. All of my peers quit. I was, you know, I had to ask my friend who showed me the check, uh, for some money for rent. Um, cause I was making like 55 cents a transfer or something like that. Um, but, uh, and I, you know, I just paid for my grad school out of pocket, so I had nothing. Um, I was living in, I didn't know it at the time, but not a very good area. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the first month uh, I got on the floor, I just realized that sales is a skill and I need to train it and I need to practice it. And I was repping things out. I, I was practicing mock phone calls. I was calling my parents, calling my friends. Um, when I hit the floor, you know, I did incredibly well my very first month. And that was the first kind of incidents where I was like, okay, I made the right decision. I paid off all debt I had in one month. And then I was debt free from there, you know? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, so hold on for a second. Rewind. We got to go back actually. So give me an idea of like, you know, what was that first month like? I mean, how much yeah. debt did you, did you accrue? Uh, it was a $17,000 paycheck for my very first month in the mortgage industry. And to put it in perspective, you know, I worked three jobs through grad school and kind of cut myself financially off financially from my family. Um, and I had uh, about $8,000 in student loan debt that I, I just couldn't, I couldn't work hard enough to cover. So, you know, that first month I basically took everything I took home. I just paid off bills cause I was living frugally, you know, I was going to the 99 cent grocery store to, you know, get groceries. So I said, you know what, let's stack some money. Let's pay off all the debt because I hate debt. And, you know, that's what I did. And, then, you know, it was the first real opportunity for me to be like, okay, you know, this is going somewhere. I made the right decision. I got to double down now on my effort, got to double down on the skills and I got to push harder. And and when, when did actually the, the path to become a, a mortgage broker and we're going to get into your whole story about how you're now becoming a mortgage banker. But like, you know, wh when did you realize, Hey, you know something, this is not just, you know, me being able to do this on a loan by loan basis, but, but I can create an organization with some kind of system that you've created and empower other originators to put more borrowers in homes. Yeah. So while I was at quick and I, I quickly, Maybe it's just my background. Um, you know, I memorized all the guidelines. I memorized pretty much everything because I had six months to do it while I was outbound dialing. So I would just go home. I didn't have cable. I just went home and I was reading guidelines, reading up on products, reading up on like different ways, you know, that you can leverage these products. 
And uh, when I hit the floor, I wasn't perfect, but I, the knowledge base grew very, very quickly. And I started helping a lot of people out. And I started jumping on the phones for them and closing their loans for them, helping people hit their numbers, hit their tiers. Um, and I got a lot out of that. So, you know, towards the, I would say the second half of my time at Quicken, I was only there for two years to the day. Uh, my second half, you know, I was really kind of helping and, you know, I found I enjoyed being in management and helping people. And when I left Quicken, um, I knew that the only place I, I tried to figure out, you know, how am I going to learn the rest of business? You know, I'm a science background in school. I didn't go to business school. I don't have any idea. Right. So I said, well, what are the only opportunities for me to really learn? You know, I want to learn marketing. I want to learn, you know, kind of the, the engineering tech side. I wanted to learn uh, management. I wanted to learn operations processing. I wanted to learn all of that. Um, you know, I decided to go to San Francisco and, you know, take a swing on a, on a mortgage startup. Um, and when I was interviewing with them, one of the key things I, I got through to them on when we were negotiating, uh, was I want access to the leaders of all of these different silos in the business. And I want to be able mm -hmm. to pick the brains. I want to be able to take them to lunch. I want to be able to sit in on their team meetings and I want to just learn. Um, and that honestly, However much I made, I took a pay cut to take that job. However much I made didn't matter because I'm a very long-minded individual. So um, that very first opportunity was at a company called Cindio. Um, was really great. So, yeah. Now, now, before that, did you have access to any kind of mentor that kind of um, that kind of gave you the guidance and said, "Hey, yeah, this looks sounds like a great idea. Pick up and move to California and start up with this startup." that you never had anything to do with before? Um, I'm not a big mentor guy. Um, I'll just be honest. Um, maybe it's just my personality, but I read a ton of books. Uh, I take what I want from them and leave what I don't want. Um, and I try to figure it out on my own. And to me, you know, it, it was nothing more than like an internship, a paid internship at all of these companies. You know, I went from Cindio and then I took a, a leadership role uh, at Clara Lending. Um, and then I uh, left Clara Lending, went to Ethos Lending. And that Ethos Lending job was a great opportunity for me because um, I essentially was given the keys to build retail from scratch. Like all decision making, uh, especially for the first six months, because um, I put together a six month business plan. And, you know, I hit every single number to the T for the first six months. And then you get to a certain scale size where the rest of the business has to kind of make the adjustments. And that's where we kind of ran into issues there. But, you know, that was a great opportunity for me to really test all of my ideas on how to bid sales, how to, you know, build a mortgage team, how to do front end business. Because I knew, I knew someday, you know, if I ever wanted to do my own company, knowing how to generate business and drive business, drive the volume is key. All the rest you can figure out, right? You can make some mistakes on, you know, the technology you choose. You can make some mistakes on how you're processing. You can make some mistakes there, but if you don't have revenue, you don't have volume, you don't have a business. So, yeah. you know, after I kind of learned a little bit from, you know, the marketing side, from other people within the business, the operations side, the underwriting side, I made very, very good connections for people I could rely on within the industry to ask questions to about, you know, specific programs, guidelines, help me get in, you know, introduced to the right people. Um, Cause that's one of the hardest parts about starting a brokerage is no one knows who you are and very few people want to give you the time of the day. Right. Um, yeah, 
So it was a good experience and a great opportunity, but no mentors, no mentors. No mentor. And it's so still to this day, to this day, actually, I know you, you said you wanted to have access, you know, to meet up with the people that ran these silos. Um, did, were any kind of mentor relationships come out of that? Or were you just like, Hey, I'm, I'm taking you to lunch. I have these seven questions. Um, uh, you know, and that's, and that's that, you know, a, a lot of the conversations I had, they weren't necessarily like, Hey, teach me how to be a marketer. Hey, teach me how to manage operations or teach that it was more, um, understanding how those silos interacted with each other and what worked with them and what didn't work. Right. I'm a big, you know, steal people, steal what works from those doing it better than you. Big believer mm-hmm. in that. Right. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to make the wheel a little rounder and it rolls better. Right. So, um, you know, just figuring out those little inches that we could gain, I could gain through the knowledge of the individuals was, was really helpful. And, um, I don't think I really, other than my business partner, Ben, who was kind of showing me the ropes on the capital market side at Cindio, um, don't have too much interaction with a lot of the people I was working with, but it gave me just enough insight to feel like, okay, I can learn this. Okay. I can figure this out. This isn't, this isn't rocket science over here. It's difficult, but I can figure it out. I have a baseline now. Well, that's, that's awesome. So, okay. So, so here you're, you're learning about these silos, seeing how they interact, you're understanding, you know, how to set up a, an operation. Um, so 2008, uh, you know, you opened up Sunny Hill Financial. Um, like what, um, like, like, why did you feel confident at that point that you can uh, launch your own mortgage company? Yeah. So in 2018, uh, basically decided that I wanted to take a shot on my own. Um, I didn't actually start Sunny Hill Financial. Um, I, I kind of came in as a partner and took it over and took over the management of it with Ben. Um, because I knew Ben, to me, partners are so important. People don't talk about that in, you know, when you start a business, but, you know, having partners that, you know, I, I don't think we've ever had a real disagreement, me and my two other partners, um, we're all, you know, laser beam focused and moving in the same direction. So I knew that the people was more important in the beginning. And, you know, although I could start it and have a higher ownership stake, if I did it on my own, it was more important to me to have solid partners that I knew I could build off of. So I took over Sunny Hill financial and it's because I had an idea for how I could build sales. And I knew I could get us to about 50 million in revenue a month in that market, right? There's a lot of hoops to jump through and a lot of connections I had to make because 50 million in production, right? Yeah. yeah, Production uh, a month. Okay. Right. I, I was pretty confident I could get there quickly because I'd already gone from 5 million at ethos, which is later called the Gore lending to like 70 million in six months. So I knew that progression. I knew the marketing I wanted to do. What I didn't know was how difficult it was going to be the second time around to get into those, uh, marketing companies and to, you know, I mean, I think it took me close to a year to just get on bank rate cause they weren't allowing people on. Right. Wow. Or Zillow took me two and a half years of persistently calling like weekly and trying to find the right person is nuts. Um, I think Why? it's probably different now, uh, especially in this yeah. market. But at the time they, you know, it's like, how many States do you have? You know, that mattered. But then realistically I was spending the budget in two States. Like it, it didn't matter, you know? Yeah. But, uh, that was the surprise I think 
Like I knew how to do it. I had a plan written up. It took longer uh, than I thought to be able to get all the pieces in place. But once they were all in place, it was like a switch was flipped. It was, I think, January 3rd, um, 2019. Um, when everything kind of came together and we turned the plan on and we immediately went from like low production where we're, we're grinding out kind of organic business, just trying to test the process to, you know, doing 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million a month. And eventually, you know, we got up to about 180 million, 200 million a month. Um, you know, granted it was a great time in the market, those three years or two years, but, uh, three years, but yeah, that, that was really you know, I had the plan. I knew the plan worked. It's just, how do I get the pieces in place myself? Um, and that was tricky. So coming to an organization that, you know, it's doing a little bit of business, um, but you had a plan to. It never closed alone. Sunio Financial before me, they had never closed alone. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so it was just a corporation ready to get was, set up. And- yeah. It was a licensed corporation, Right with the person I wanted, you know, to be one of my business partners. Now the thing with Ben is Ben is a really, really sharp guy, but he's a capital markets guy. He's not a mortgage sales guy. And he'd never really written loans before he started this brokerage. And he kind of ran into the front end issue. Whereas I had spent the last six years of my life or five years of my life figuring out the front end and how to grow sales. So it really was a great match for me because Ben could handle all the compliance, regulatory licensing, bringing on the software. I could admin CRMs because I made sure I was adminning CRMs and other tech at these other startups. Um, and it all kind of came together like that. I just, I brought the sales with me. I, I brought the business model with me. Wow. So what about Ben? What, what's, what is special about Ben besides actually, you know, he, he's got the capital markets, you know, you're focusing on, on the, the production, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's, there's more to it because like partners, I mean, you have to have such an, an immense respect for each other mm-hmm. and know to stay in each other's lane. And then sometimes to say, hey, just so you know, maybe in your lane, you want to do this a little differently. So how do you actually, uh, you know, how did you realize that he was going to be a good partner? Well, there were, there were two people I wanted to, to have as partners. Both of them are my partners. One was Ben and one was Brian. Brian, in my opinion, is probably the best LO in the country as an individual. It's a strong statement, but I'll put it out there. He's that good. Um, and I knew bringing him and building a system where he could be efficient, we could make it efficient for everybody else. Um, and, but with Ben, you know, and this is what comes down to finding the right partner. Uh, I'm, I'm very aware of my pros, like what I'm good at and what I'm bad at. Right. And I'm not the most organized individual in general. I'll be the first to admit that. Um, and I also don't like to do things that don't seem interesting to me. And I'll admit that as well. If there's something that does not sound fun or interesting or isn't something to solve, um, I don't want to do it. However, Ben is willing to do anything. Ben's willing to be the plumber. He's willing to do the stuff that I, I can't bring myself to do consistently. Um, and he holds me accountable on a lot of stuff. And I, I feel like there's a good dynamic there to, you know, keep me, he always says his job is to free up time for me to figure out the direction and steer the ship, right? Take, uh-huh. take tasks off of me. Um, so, you know, I can't understate the importance of his job and Brian's job as well. I mean, you know, it, it's really useful to have an LO go out there and do, you know, in the, in 2019, he did like 200 million by himself with no processor. 
And like people ask how how did Sunny Hill's process get so efficient to where we had, you know, over the course of the three year refinance boom, you know, 18 and a half day average closings, even at scale and volume with a very small staff. It's all through efficiency. It's through scaling an individual. It's through the idea of, you know, Hey, I want to scale my business. I don't necessarily want to scale it by hiring people and just going out and hiring 10 LOs to get 10 million. I want to hire one LO, two LOs to get to that 10 million, or I just want to get 10 million out of our current LOs without hiring. How do you do that? It's an efficiency thing. So, you know, that's something Brian is very, very good at figuring out the best way to, to do it. By the way, 18, 18 days, you know, app to close. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm because we're on, on podcast and the mic is sensitive. I'm not going to clap, but I'm, I'm air clapping right now because that's, that's fantastic as in, as an industry, you know, unfortunately most lenders, you know, just strive for that. But I also, I'm on the flip side of that, I'm like, wait, 18 days. I mean, all the data is already existing out there. Like, why is, why are we as, as an industry, uh, you know, taking so long to, to close. Obviously, we have regulatory things um, and appraisals don't help. But do you think actually that w- within actually uh, the next, let's say, two years that you'll be able to compress that time? And I mean, where do you think we'll be at actually in two years? I know it's difficult to predict, but, you know, can can we get to less than 10 days as, as an industry for app to close? Well, I mean, you'd have to change some of the waiting periods, right? You know, there's, could you close in 10 days? Like, sure. You know, we've had loans that on conditional approval are basically CTC by just having everything done up front on submission. And um, it's totally possible. But, you know, what I go back to is levels of oversight in the process, right? And an LO writes a loan. What happens to the loan, right? They submit it to the lender. It gets conditionally approved. Maybe they miss the email and they miss 24 hours on the conditional approval email, right? We put oversight in place to make sure that didn't happen, right? And our goal and, you know, our processing team is fantastic. Um, you know, their goal is to close loans as fast as possible. We were actually incentivizing them on getting the, the, the time to close down. Um, and, you know, putting that focus and single mindedness on, you know, the, the client experience, the service level, the communication, um, but then speed, right. I always had this idea that if you had a great rate and you closed the loan fast, it didn't matter if you're a jerk. Right. And I still believe that, right. If somebody comes to me and they want a loan and we knock it out in 15 days, they may not like me personally, but they're going to be like, it was professional. It's a high quality service. I got a great rate and it's done. Right? That's what they're, they're dwelling on the end end goal. Now, obviously we don't want to be jerks, but yeah. Sure. Is, Brian, is Brian a jerk? Is that, is that this year? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. He's a hundred percent professional and efficient and uh, he's pretty incredible to watch. Um, yeah. But that guy also has an internal fire that I've never seen before. Um, wow. You know, I, I I'm a pretty motivated individual myself. I work long hours. Um, you know, I'm a bit of a night owl. So like I was, I was writing alone last night at 1030, a uh, client put in an inquiry. I happened to be sitting at my desk. I reached out, you know, and I, I still originate. I believe leaders should still originate. Everybody in my business originates because I think it's an important thing to be tied to the core of the business. But, um, that man will write loans midnight. doesn't matter. Right. If somebody wants to talk to him, he'll pick up the phone anytime and, you know, answer questions, originate, do what he needs to do. It's pretty incredible. 
Wow, that's awesome. And so, so obviously, you chose the mortgage broker model to start with, uh, you know, because it's it it takes relatively less capital uh, than if you're becoming a mortgage banker coming into mm-hmm. this. And you know, so, but but at some point, uh, you guys said, "All right, we're doing a ton of production. Um, it made sense to look at uh, you know going to mortgage banking." Um, so, talk to us a little bit about you know. What what led to that decision? Yeah, so we could have made the transition about a year earlier. I'll be honest. Um, the problem is the technology for going. Well, I don't. I never really wanted to be full like delegated correspondent, right? With our own underwriting, I, I never thought that that was a great model for what our goals were. Um, non delegated was always the route we would want to go, um, simply because we're you know a lean business, low overhead, you know and driving the volume through and driving, you know, good rates, right? Low rates. Um, so we could have made the decision earlier. However, like the technology that was built by lenders to go non-delegated wasn't good enough. It just, it wasn't good enough. Um, and the amount of risk versus lift wasn't there for us. And, um, it wasn't really a, a priority. Now we, we put in our roadmap that we thought 2022 was going to be a tough year in general, right? You can kind of see the writing on the wall based on what the market's doing. You know, it's kind of a rebound after COVID printing a lot of money. I'm no economist, but I know if you print a ton of money uh, and do a bunch of, you know, stimulus across the country that you're going to have inflation increase and that's going to lead to the fed raising rates. So, you know, we opened up a real estate company and a few other businesses, you know, a little construction company, things like that to kind of insulate us and drive business to the mortgage company as well. Um, but we'd also planned on saying on moving over to non-Dell and we worked really closely with a few lending partners to have it built the way we wanted it built. Um, because there were a few things that we weren't willing to compromise on and we wanted to figure out, you know, the, the puzzle for me wasn't how do I get to being to banking? It was how do I get to banking without any extra overhead? Okay, there's probably a couple hundred dollars extra overhead for us now. But I kind of, you know, Ben, Ben's taken many companies, you know, full full, de- full delegated core before. And uh, we just broke out the entire process and figured out, you know, what were the major stop gaps and where we would need to make a dramatic investment into technology. And how do we just avoid that? <laughs> How do we get a process that avoids all of that? How do we negotiate, uh, you know, to be able to go banking and you know have our lenders pick up pick up some of the uh, some of the technology needs we would need? And you know that's what we did with Rocket, frankly. Interesting. So 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 you put the kind of the a lot of the pressure on them uh, to kind of provide the technology and to provide the support. So. It's only a, a few hundred dollars additional cost per loan. Uh, not, um, not per loan, what, per month. Per m- m- month. Per month. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, so okay. Let, let, let's break down. Actually, what? Let's talk about the the benefits that that you get from becoming a banker. So, it's only costing a, a few hundred bucks a month. Many people are spending more of that on on Starbucks. Yep. So, um, what are, what are your the benefits that 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 you you got the, um, you know, the, the, the lift as, as you say. Yeah. So you get a lot of, you know, you get a lot of control over, you know, the margins, um, and things like that. It allows you to set up separate branches, right? So in this sort of a market, our original model 
is not something we want to continue to scale in this market, right? We have it to a really good place for the current team. Uh, and we actually brought up a, a new model that we're, you know, heavily recruiting into. Um, and, you know, that goes along with core being able to set up these branches where, you know, you have some LOs that it's like, Hey, you know, I want to make a point and a half on a loan. Sure. We can now do that. Right. Whereas if we wanted to do this model on the broker model, you can't, right. We try to give the flexibility on pricing to the LO because, you know, I, I believe if an LO is willing to work for less, the company should be okay with that as a business. Um, but other than that, you know, the, the process flow being so tied into the underwriting, right? We have all the same underwriters on all of our files, which is extremely helpful. And then, you know, obviously, you know, there's, you know, you make more money or have better pricing on, you know, core. Like you just do. Yeah. And you're normally that is to compensate for the fact that you just brought a lot of overhead onto your business, right? So you're trying to compensate that to break even to get this flexibility. But if you don't have to compensate, it just increases your overall, you know, pricing, or it gives you better pricing across your rate sheets, or you just make a little more money per loan. And in this kind of a market, that makes sense, right? Well, and, and so listen, I'm, I'm going to do a little shameless plug for our for our webinar we did. So we just did a a webinar uh, with Tyler, um, going into a little bit about actually his uh, you know his path to become a mortgage banker. Um, so. Check out nationalmortgageprofessional.com. The, the webinar is on there. Some great insights. Uh, you were very generous with, with, your, with your information, and, and I appreciate that. Um, so, um, all right, I, I want to go back actually to your to the broker story and your your origin sure. story. Um, talk a little bit about you know. So when you were getting set up, when you're getting set the company set up, because we uh, I know you you mentioned actually in uh, you know in the our. our or kind of our pre-chat uh, a little bit about cost uh, and some unexpected costs. And a lot of people are going to be listening to this, setting up their brokerage shop. Um, so what are the things that they should be mindful of uh, in terms of, of costs? Because, listen, production's nice, and, and sometimes good production can hide bad financial mistakes. So talk to us a little about, you know, unexpected uh, costs that you weren't in planning on taking on. Yeah, sure. So, you know, like we just ran through this recently within our business now, you know, obviously the market's changed, well, volumes are down. Um, but when you really started to take a deep look into even our business, which was very efficiently run, I feel, um, you just get a technology creep where, you know, you keep trying to layer on a better product, better service, um, and not all those products necessarily move the needle and you have to stay on top of that, you know, so we've cut some technology out of our business that just, we weren't getting enough lift from, but, you know, next thing, you know, you know, you could say, okay, you know, it's, uh, you know, $150 a month for, you know, your CRM, it's, you know, $80 a month for a pricing engine and you layer that on top. And then, you know, people go out with a hire against it. And next thing you know, if people aren't productive, you're just overpaying and losing money and you start to have a, a bleed. Right. And like, it might not be a bleed in profits because, you know, hopefully your revenue is outstretching it, but it's very easy to let the cost of a business creep up. And for a new business owner starting a brokerage, one of the things I've found, and you know, I, I don't want to be a jerk about this, but, you know, most people who start brokerages are, you know, come from a sales background, uh, similar to me, don't have a, a business management background. And um, a lot of us are figuring it out. Right. And some of us make better decisions than others, but um, it's really easy to not pay attention to that, that creep of just costs, right? 
you know, an example would be in this market, there's a lot of purchase business. A lot of people are buying triggers, right? So, you know, moving from, you know, pulling, uh, doing a hard pull on every loan because it's a purchase, doing a soft pull, you know, saves you, you know, 30, 40 bucks uh, per client. And if they don't get into contract, you don't need to hard pull on their credit, right? You don't need to pay the money. The next thing you know, you could have a $20,000 credit reporting bill. And you're like, what, where the heck did this come from? Whereas instead, if you, you know, focused on the soft credit pools, maybe it's, maybe that same bill is five grand, six grand, right? right? And you're still providing the same service to the client. It's little things like that, that are, you, you figure out along the way, but that was one thing. The other thing was, um, a lot of people invest in having an office or a space. I feel like for some people, it's more of like, uh, a goal to like have their own physical business. Uh, I, I do feel like that's a thing. Um, I also feel like, you know, and there is pros, there's pros and cons to it, right? Getting a, a group of sales individuals together on a sales floor is better than a remote. And when we started the business, I had a live work loft in West Oakland, um, where I was living in the loft it was three stories, um, industrial like factory loft. And I was sleeping up in the top loft. And then the company had the bottom two floors in my kitchen. And oh, that sounds yeah, awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, anybody that knows me knows that I am useless in the mornings. So there would be people beating me to work. <laughs> right. So, um, but you know, we had that office space and that was fantastic. And we built the company in that office, uh, in that space. Um, but then we made the decision quite quickly that, in order to get the best talent, like the best talent's not all in a single city, you know, the best yeah. talent's all over the country. So we went, you know, kind of digital remote model early, you know, in our life. And we did it about a year prior to, you know, COVID lockdowns. So when everybody else was scrambling, you know, shutting down their offices, if somebody had COVID, you know, everybody was out not working for, you know, two weeks, um, we, we didn't skip a beat. In fact, I actually tripled the uh, marketing budget because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I wanted to make sure people had the ability to write loans and make money. I didn't know if the market was going to, who knows? It turns out the market got incredibly good during that time. And, you know, 3Xing the marketing budget was a good thing. Yeah. Some of these times, uh, some of these things that we make are just an intuition um, Mm -hmm. and just going off a previous experience. And you've had actually a lot of experience, uh, you know, from going back to the, the days at Quicken, uh, you know, just banging on those phones, mm-hmm. uh, call after call making, uh, was it 52 cents per, I think per it was transfer? 55 and it was like eight bucks an hour. And I'm not trying to say that's a bad job. I would do that job again if it meant I got to start in this industry like that. Um, you know, you got to take the lumps to get into an industry, but you know, what they actually taught me was, you know, the, the sales skill and the dedication and the grind it takes to be successful in this industry. And, you know, a lot of people I feel entered this industry in the last two years because, you know, loans were falling from the sky. Everybody knew somebody that was refinancing, um, and coming into a market like this, they don't necessarily have that grind mentality where it's like, okay, it's one of those years. It's harder to write loans. I got to pound the phones. I got to, you know, I got to reach out to realtors. I got to reach out to past clients. I got to do whatever I can to drum up business. And having that kind of first experience in, you know, my, my father always called my, my first two years at, uh, at Quicken as like the mortgage boot camp, right? Mm-hmm. 
and learn from the best, right? You know, some people might argue they're not the best, but I would argue with, you know, the experience I had, it really set me up for a good career. Um, now there's a lot of other companies you could learn at, and there's a lot of other companies that like do it well, but I, I do think the Quicken's training model is pretty robust and pretty great. I just had my whole team yeah, out mean, there to get trained again from some of the original trainings I did when I worked there last week. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I mean, well, listen, you know, and you could say actually maybe they're not great in certain things, but they are number one. Number one for a they reason. They do more long. Yep. So, so there's there, you know, if you can learn from that and, and you have the ability to, uh, to kind of go and say, Hey, listen, when I was there, you guys did this training. Can I have my, my people go through that training? That's a pretty, a pretty full, uh, powerful flex, uh, to, to be able to do that. So, uh, that's, that's awesome. Now, now listen, I, I know actually, you know, the, the guys over at rocket very much about, you know, being, being positive mm-hmm. and kind of feed, feeding yourself with like positive energy. Um, so now does that come from books? Like for, for you, like what, like, cause I know you said you read a lot. Um, what kind of books do you read? Um, to be honest, I read a lot of fiction because I read that to shut my mind off. Just mindless stuff. Mm. Actually, uh, a lot of what I do is to just shut my mind off. Um, I struggle with sleep a lot actually, cause I'm a night owl. So, um, but you know, Brian is loves business books and he'll just ship me business books and I read them. Um, and you know, I try to take something away from it. An example is I, I knew I needed to learn digital marketing. So I bought like nine different digital marketing books and just read all of them through the course of a couple of weekends because I had a conversation with, um, uh, a guy about marketing who was an expert. And it was one of the first times in, in a while that I, I don't want to say I felt stupid, but I, I felt unprepared to be able to have like a peer to peer conversation and to get the most out of the conversation. And that's something I hate. Uh, I hate it when I have the opportunity to sit down with somebody I can really learn from and really kind of understand the industry better that I'm trying to figure out. And I don't have the knowledge base to fully participate. Um, and I immediately try to bridge that gap in my knowledge base. Um, and that, you know, in that, that situation, I just bought seven, uh, marketing books and digital marketing, everything from, you know, direct mail to, you know, Facebook into like Google BigQuery, all of that. And I tried to bridge the gap. Now I am no expert. However, I can have a much stronger conversation and glean more from an expert now. And there's, that's the value. So, you know, other than that, I have a pretty, I would say rigid, uh, planning schedule every year. Um, I isolate myself for four days in a room and do everything on paper and there's a progression through it. And so like the first day is I actually review the past five years worth of plans that I set forth and I reflect on everything I did right, everything I did wrong, everything we as a business did right, everything we as a business did wrong. Um, where sometimes I'll have the idea and I won't execute on it. And the idea would have been the thing to take us to the next level. That does happen sometimes. And I kind of have to reflect on why I didn't put enough effort into that to get it done. Um, but that's basically the first day. And I come out of it with a bunch of notes and reflection. And, you know, a lot of times I'm pretty proud of what I did. You know, it's a time for me to kind of just focus on myself and, you know, appreciate the work we did and where we came from and where we went. Right. Um, the next day is just a hundred percent brainstorming for eight hours straight by myself, 
drawing circles, connecting circles with different ideas. And then I linearly map everything out and kind of try to flesh out each idea um, with a couple sentences. Um, day after that, I consolidate everything into a single stack of papers with each one being one of the ideas or goals I wanted to focus on. And then the fourth day, I actually schedule meetings with everybody within the businesses um, and say, hey, you know, this is going to be a focus of ours next year. This is where I need you to, to either like learn or, you know, be prepared for or get set up or execute in this quarter. Um, and we have a pretty good, pretty good plan. And, you know, each year it gets harder and harder because as the business gets more institutionalized, as the business gets more bulletproof, as you know, you're constantly making improvements to it, regardless of the market, um, it can be, uh, hard to, you know, you start moving in inches, not in feet, not in miles. When you first start a business, it's, you know, the ability to get better, it's always there. Um, so, uh, but I, I do attribute quite a bit of that and I have every single planning session, every single notebook from it, every single note. Um, and mid year, I kind of reflect on the goals I set. I do it every end of, end of December. Um, the goals I set where we're at and where I need to kind of step up the motivation on and the effort on, but a lot of people just fly by the seat of their pants. If I don't do that planning session at the end of the year, I'm an all or nothing guy. I have to have the whole plan before the year starts. Like I don't have the path. I'm going to walk for the next 12 months. That's just how I operate. Wow. And, and, and and I know uh, we were talking the other day about how, you know, you have a daily ritual of things you do every morning. Does, does any of that include uh, like, you know, the reflect reflecting on this business plan that you create before the year starts? I, I do kind of mini, mini sessions on Mondays. Um, so my morning schedule is, uh, I normally don't try not to take meetings before 10. Um, I don't know where I learned this, but you know, I think it was maybe in high school. Some, some motivational speaker was talking about, um, there's three types of people, right? Three types of like times of day where people are excellent. Some people are night owls. Some people are early morning. Some people are midday and leaning into whichever one you are and not trying to change it because what's normal is an important thing. And, you know, I'm, useless in the morning, the early mornings. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty useless. Um, and I acknowledge that. And I, I fully lean into, I need to take my morning slow. They need to not be hectic. They need to be relatively organized. You know, uh, I, I generally try to, you know, jump in the sauna. I do my emails and drink my coffee in a sauna every morning, wake my whole body up, you know, uh, you know take a cold shower, um, sit down, finish my coffee. And then up until about 10 AM, normally I am Unless I have something right specific I need to do, um, I'm trying to not think about business so that I can come in awake, you know, in a good mindset and I can make the right decisions. Because I, I do feel my job has turned into, you know, I make two to three business decisions a day and that's like my whole value to the business. It, so if that's the case, I need my mind right for making those decisions. Um, especially in a time like this and in a market like this, it's important. So for me, you know, I probably drink a whole pot of coffee before 10 AM and, uh, it's not a healthy <laughs> thing, but I, I just know I need to have nice, calm, you know, progressions into the workday. Otherwise I feel rushed. And when I feel rushed, I'm not mm-hmm. as sharp. I also don't eat breakfast. I don't eat in the morning, right? Because that's another thing. If you feel full, I don't know what it is. I'm sluggish mentally. Right. So, mm-hmm. 
couple things like that. And I, I feel having some sort of a structure, some sort of understanding with when you work the best is important. hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And optimizing yourself, not, not trying to force habits that, you know, that other, that work for other people, but finding what works for you and creating that, that, that perfect path to optimize you to make those amazing three decisions, uh, you know, th throughout mm -hmm. the day. So, so listen, if, if we can, we can go back to like, you know, early on mm -hmm. in your career, like, I don't know, let's go, let's go back to, you know, the, uh, the young Tyler from, uh, St. Joseph's mm -hmm. high school, you know, and have a conversation with him. Um, would you suggest actually any, any different path than the one you've no, taken? I don't really reflect backwards like that. Um, I have always been a relatively mature individual for my age. Um, I set my life goal when I was 20, um, and I stuck to it until I hit it when this year, um, my goal was for when I was 35, um, which I think it's important to have long-term long-minded goals to work towards because you're not going to be able to plan the full path there. But as long as you're trying to inch your way there, there's a lot of different ways to get there, but you need that end goal where you want to get. Um, so I think it was always relatively serious, but you know, it doesn't matter what industry you work in, as long as you're having fun with it. And for me, I like building businesses. It turns out it doesn't matter that it's in the mortgage industry. If I wasn't in the mortgage industry, I would have built a business somewhere else. I'm convinced of that. Um, and mm. so no, I, I think, I think I made the right decision to be where I'm at. And, you know, the freedom, flexibility, this industry makes, it gives you, you know, the ability to earn income. Um, uh, I think it's one of the best industries out there, but it's a tough industry. It's cyclical. It's not for the weak hearted, right? Especially in times like this. Yeah. 100% that it's cyclical and it's sick and yeah. it's like this for, for many people. So can can you share actually what that goal was at 35 years old that you wanted to have that you established for yourself at 20 yeah, years you know, old? Okay. 20 years old. You don't actually know what it's going to take to retire, but my goal was to have the ability to make a decision if I wanted to retire by 35. Um, it all stemmed from wanting to, you know, live my life. I don't want to work until I'm 70. Right. I, I wanted to push and take risks and put myself in a mindset to get to that end goal. And my goal was to have the ability to retire. Now, okay, the basis of that goal was set at 20 years old. Right? I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know what actual number it would take, but you know, I, I put myself in a really good position that you know I could, I could just liquidate everything um, and you know retire. And I'm not going to do that. But you know, I, I wanted the ability to make that decision if I wanted to go do something else. Um, yeah. Tyler, you're having too much fun at this to, to actually stop. There's no stop. Yeah, I mean, you. it's a tough time right now, but <laughs> I actually think this is a lot of fun trying to get through this market, insulate the business. Like it feels like I'm starting a new company and our company is built well. Like I'll say that it is built well. Um, but like it's starting, like I'm starting to look at every single little crack and, you know, removing every single penny from overhead and, you know, dialing in the business when the market turns around and it will turn around when the market turns around, yeah. we're going to be a dramatically stronger business. And that's kind of the oh, cool yeah. thing about this. Now, is it painful? Is it a lot of work? You know, I'm probably working more hours now than I did the past two years. Um, yes, it's, <laughs> I mean, it, 
but is it fun? Is it challenging? Is it something I'm going to look back on and remember this time? Remember, you know, the, you know, the decision-making process, the working together as a team with, you know, the leaders in my business, you know, having these conversations with LOs and, you know, helping them write their, you know, couple loans, four or five loans for the month, you know, uh, where they need help on, like, it's fun. It's like when we started the business. Um, now I would say this is a very difficult time to start a brokerage, but, mm-hmm. um, the people that, you know, make it through this, I think are going to be set up nicely. 100%. So, um, you know, talk about your tech stack. So like what, what did you originally set, um, Sunny Hill up with in terms of your tech stack? And now that you're, you know, obviously a, a significantly more mature mm-hmm. organization in just these three years that you've been actively producing, um, you know, like what does the tech stack look like now? Well, it's it's changed quite a bit. I still think the CRMs in mortgage, and I, I don't want to say really what CRM I'm using because it's it's not something I want people to go out and you know use as being good. It, it, it's fine, um, but uh, I, I think CRM in the mortgage industry is a big hole um, for the industry and for brokers. However, you know we use Flowify for the front end. Um, Flowify is great. They'll help you customize it, build it out. Um, it's great for the online application. Great for you know having encrypted documents sent to you. It's great for tracking what your clients are doing. So we like that. Um, it's great for pushing out conditions as well. You know, LendingPad I think is the one piece of technology I did not touch because it was the one piece of technology Ben had when I kind of entered Sunny Hill. That, I, that we really liked. We pretty much replaced the whole other rest of the system. Um, we use uh, Loan Sifter for our pricing engine because I don't feel a broker really needs that robust of a pricing engine. Um, they just need something that's quick, nimble, that you know allows you to push out the you know uh, get the price and quote effectively. Um, so I think Loan Sifter is fine. Um, but then uh, let's see what else. What about actually on uh, for um, accounting? You know, what are you guys using? We, work with, to- we used to work with Gusto. Um, Gusto was great. I had no problem with Gusto. We ran into issues scaling um, where we were our payroll was too big for them. They literally couldn't process our payroll at one point. Um, I'm sure they fixed it now, but uh, they actually referred us over to Rippling and worked to help to transition us off because they, they, they were having issue issues processing our payroll at one point. So now we're with rippling and uh, I think Rippling's a good system. Um, and then for like accounting, we have a third party account accounting company that, you know, puts together our P and L's and so on and so forth every month. Fantastic. All right. Dala, tell me what is your advice to, a listener that's out there listening to this, they're planning on actually becoming a mortgage broker. What kind of guidance can you give them? Uh, so I'm just going to speak from experience, solve revenue first, solve the business front first. Where's the business going to come from? You don't need a perfect tech stack. Like our tech stack's not perfect. We're constantly trying to make it better. Right. Um, but you know, the knowing where your revenue and your business is going to come from, with a level of certainty is what you need to solve before you do a brokerage. If you don't know where your business is going to come from and you're just opening a company to be a business owner and, you know, to try to get, you know, be a CEO and 
you know, work for yourself. Like it, it is not the right motivation. In my instance, I knew exactly how we were going to do it. Granted, it took an extra year to accomplish it because you, I did not have the connections. I did not have the relationships with all these partners and lenders and investors and, you know, uh, marketing companies that I have now to be able to you know operate the way we did. But knowing that, knowing where the revenue comes from, you can fix the rest. As long as you're producing revenue and keeping your business as lean as possible, you can make up for it with muscle, with manpower in the beginning to still have a solid process for your client. And then you work towards making it more efficient. So, you know, if you don't know where the business is going to come from, don't do it. Solve that first. Just wait, you know, until you have that solution, you're only causing yourself problems, right? Beautiful. That's the way that, that's how you wrap it up right there, right there. That's, 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 if you had a microphone, I would tell you to drop that shit on the table right now. Uh, that's great, man. Tyler, I really appreciate this. This is amazing. I love digging into your story. I could sit here for, you know, a lot longer. I have, I have more questions, but, but, you know, we try to keep sure. this condensed uh, down. Hopefully uh, one, one day actually uh, we'll have the opportunity to meet face to face and uh, you know, I can, can dig a little more into this, but uh, thank you for your time actually for this and the webinar and uh, really yeah, appreciate absolutely. it. Thank you for, you know, chatting with me about it. It was fun. When you want to grow, strengthen and protect your business, Rocket can partner with rocketprotpo.com today. Those are some great insights. Tyler reminds us that we all need more planning in our lives. It's clear that planning, self, and organizational reflection combined with Tyler's innate abilities to grow production while aligning with the perfect partners are making them unstoppable. That's it for this episode of Build a Broker, a Mortgage News Network podcast. All episodes are produced by T.G. Kutam Perar and Matt Mullins. Mike Savino is head of multimedia and Christine Stewart is editorial director. Opening theme is Adrenaline by Balloon Planet. And the music you're hearing now is Sharp Thin Blade by Francesco D'Andrea. Be sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Help inspire other future brokers by sharing this episode and leaving your reviews. Join us in person at a Build a Broker event near you. These half-day events help you open, operate, and grow your mortgage brokerage with confidence. Learn more at nmplink.com slash B-A-B.